Closing the Doors of Trauma, today on the Weekly Kingdom Outlook. Let's get going. Hey, greetings, folks. Apostle Lewis here with you. And we're going to talk about something that if you work in ministry of healing and stuff like this, um, you can learn some things of um, how people can carry chronic injury, chronic, um, we'll just call it chronic trauma, that can manifest in multiple different ways as they go through life. And so I'm going to use some examples. I'm going to talk about my own life. Um, and things that were subtle, but actually caused some big problems in my life until I came to Christ, how you can get free from those, because um, we really don't understand sometimes the spirit realm and how thoughts are, um, a thought could come, but a trauma can be imprinted. And when a trauma gets imprinted on us, it can open us up for some pretty uh, difficult times in our lives. And I want to help you, if I may, uh, here, uh, see if we can identify, maybe you'll be able to identify them in your life and get free from them. Um, one of the ways that you could identify that there might be a stronghold or something that is um, uh, maybe there, let's just put it that way, um, would be by um, patterns of things that maybe you have chronic sickness, maybe you have, um, um, maybe you have um, chronic financial troubles or chronic relationship troubles, whatever it might be, they just keep appearing. In other words, you go from one relationship to another and these things keep appearing. And I want to talk about a couple examples, one of my own, and I'm going to talk about many examples, but I want to talk about where I discovered this. I was already a Christian. Um, but where I discovered it, uh, or where I heard it and I went, Oh, maybe that is why I have these thought problems and stuff. All right. So uh, let me talk about me first. Um, you know, I grew up, I felt in a very wonderful home. I, I have amazing siblings, um, to be honest with you. And when growing up, my two sisters, um, complete opposites. My two brothers and two sisters are complete opposites of each other. It's kind of interesting to watch as you grow up as the fifth kid in the family. Um, but they were just opposites. I used to, I, I tell my kids the stories of me sitting in my bed at night, listening to my two sisters go at it. But actually, to be honest with you, my two sisters were a big part of my early life. They took me places. My one sister always took me to the beach. Um, my sister Charlene, we did a lot of stuff together. She was really the one who kind of looked out for her little brother, uh, a lot. And then my two brothers were, um, you know, my, my one brother, uh, Chaz, we call him Charles. Um, he's my oldest brother. I go, uh, darling Charlene, Charles, Brian. Okay. Um, not the, maybe the one most unique choices of names, but, um, he was the one who played sports with me, baseball a lot, golf with me a lot. Brian was more the outdoors guy where he wanted to go camping and fishing and stuff like that. And he had influence on me in that area where 
we liked to camp and we, we would go down to this place called Cascades, which was behind the General Electric headquarters that they donate to the city. They bought the property to put up their headquarters, which they have now moved out of. But I think Sacred Heart University now has them down in Fairfield, Connecticut, up in Fairfield, Connecticut now. But there was this place. It was beautiful. The river came through and we would just go down there and fish and do all these kinds of stuff. He was also the one that introduced me to drugs, but that's another story. Um, Darlene was the leader. She was, but she was, you know, she was kind of the, um, um, I would say, how did she influence me? Well, I mean, uh, her and Charlene were kind of together in my early years. Um, Darlene was the first one to move out, obviously, and, um, and stuff like that. But Charlene, I can remember doing so many funny things with, and um, sometimes when the other ones didn't want to include me, it was always Charlene that kind of pulled me along and let me be a part. And, uh, uh, you know, when you're, when they're all hitting 16, 17 and you're, you know, three years younger than the youngest, you're, you know, you, you're not maybe in that group as much. Um, certainly. So I'm going to tell you about something that happened that when I look back, I saw, I can now see the open door for my sexual perversion um, that I, I got into, chasing girls, sex, illicit sex, outside of marriage, before marriage, uh, not outside of my marriage, before marriage. Um, and um, then I'm going to talk about another incident where I learned, ha-ha, and then we'll we'll talk from there. All right. Um, you know, my, I had a very good life, like I said. We grew up in a home and only had one and a half baths, but it was... I think 14, 1500 square feet, which wasn't huge, by the way. My home is much bigger than that. Uh, what they had, um, you know, didn't have an ensuite for the parents. You know, we had one bathroom on the upstairs. There was three bedrooms at one time. Uh, it was my my parents, my sisters, and the three boys actually had the smallest room. And we had to have bunk beds with a drawer, you know, was our, was our <laughs> living arrangements. Then we had a very big uh, downstairs den, playroom, and uh, my dad started pushing off to give my brothers their own space and stuff like that, which was great for me because I stayed upstairs. And um, but then we only had a half bath downstairs. So, you know, you have to grow up learning how to who's taking showers when. Thank God, you know, when we we're, were one time, there was one time uh, where we were all in the same school from sixth grade to kindergarten. And that was only one time in all of our lives that we were in the same school. Now, we all went to the same schools, but it was the only time we were all in the same school at the same time. I was in kindergarten, and all the rest of them up to sixth grade were in there. And um, so I had a lot of influence from them, you know, um, you know, and a, a lot of good, a lot of bad. That's influence. That's the way it works. Uh, I certainly wasn't a goody two-shoes. I certainly wasn't anything like that. But I want to give this instance. We belonged to a country club, which was great. We weren't wealthy. Uh, it was just one of my dad's passions was golf. And belonging to a country club or not was, was the best way to do it. Because you, in, in, when you're playing golf a lot, you want that group uh, to play with. And so every, you know, he played cards on Fridays and Wednesdays. And on Saturday mornings, they always had their tea times. And they all go out and make a match. And you'd have, you know, 200 guys in there. And they'd all go in, yeah, let's play today, and and they would make their matches, and they'd go out and play. And so I grew up there. I grew up caddying. I grew up uh, playing golf since the age of about three, um, and I got real good at it. But I'd also sit in the grill room and hear the guys talk, 
And one of the things I could tell was um, some of my dad's friends were having an affair. And I could tell by their talk because they were talking about it. It was a grill room. Only the men are in there. And it was quite, I wouldn't say it was all of them, but it was a good majority of them. And uh, in this instance, my mom, uh, and I was around 11 years old, my mom went with some of those wives. They went down to Miami for the weekend, have ladies night, ladies weekend and everything. And, and obviously my dad, the, all the men stayed home. Well, we had a little, we had a dachshund at the time. And so I fell asleep in my dad's bed with the dog watching TV. And my dad doesn't come in until four o'clock in the morning. I've never told this to any of my siblings, by the way. So if they watch this, they're going to see it for the first time. But when, when he came in at four o'clock in the morning and, um, I just asked him a question. Are you having an affair? I was 11. I do believe around this time. Are you having an affair? And he didn't deny it. He asked me if, if my sisters put him up to it to ask that question. I said, no, uh, it's four o'clock in the morning, you know, and, um, because I knew all his friends, you know, all his mainstay friends, um, that he hung out with, that he supposedly was going out with on Wednesdays and Friday nights, because I knew they were leave, they were actually going out with their girlfriends. Where was he? And, you know, I don't even know if I thought about it much. I don't know if I, um, um, how can I say, I don't know if I, like, I can't remember dwelling on this a lot. But I do remember the incident, and this is five years before my father it gets exposed in our house. He is having an affair. My parents split up in, when I was 16. All right. But I never, I didn't know about closing that door, and it's at this time now, at age 12, 13, that my sexual activity now begins. And it lasts all the way up until, you know, well, let's say I got married, but met my wife. And, uh, it wasn't good. Um, you know, I, I, chasing women was a score. Uh, even though I, I really liked women, I didn't have a lot of, I never had really any solid relationships. I wanted one. I really did. I, I wanted, um, I didn't want to keep living that life, but it was like two different lives. It's really weird to explain because it's not excuses. I want you to know when I'm explaining this, I, I was thinking about this before I did this video. I need to explain this. I am not blaming my dad. Um, even though someone might be the cause of something, it's your responsibility to get out of it. It's not your fault, but it's certainly your responsibility. So I don't like assigning fault because um, someone else's struggle isn't your reason to sin. However, <laughs> you know, um, I don't want to actually live that kind. Of, I don't live that life in front of my kids. I want to live a godly God-fearing life, one of the scriptures, one of the spirit, one of righteousness and truth. I do not want to um, circumvent that at all. Um, and and at, at any any measurable capacity, I got this little, little dachshund down here sniffing at my shoes. Um, she wants to come up and sit with me. Come on. And uh, come on. And so she might jump up here. Um, so it's really important that we don't blame people. Now I'm not talking about, look, if someone raped you or anything that they, they do, they get the blame for that. But the more you, the more you 
take, um, excuse me, watch this. Come on. Come on. This is what is actually sitting here. <laughs> she wants to chew her bow with me when I'm in my chair. So it's not that what we should ever say is, we do these things live, you know. Um, it's not that it isn't their fault that they didn't do something. That's, that's not the point of this. The point is, how do you get free? And if your freedom is going to depend on that person, accepting the fault, blaming them, giving you an apology, you're never going to get free because you might never get those things. And so, um, and don't think me and my dad didn't have discussions about this over the years. And I did forgive him. I'm going to talk about that. All right. But I, when I'm in counseling with people, um, the things I like to ask them is, okay, have, did you have any trauma when you saw this chronic sickness come about? And it might not even be trauma to you. It could be trauma to somebody else. It could be um, you saw someone and they got badly hurt. And that fear, that, that fear entered in. And, or uh, you can see like spirit infirmities don't have to be in you. They can operate on you. And so um, you can have a spirit of infirmity. Now, I'd still believe you cast the thing out. And you don't worry where it's located. You just get rid of it, you know, but you have to deal with these things. You could have, you know, a chronic spirit of poverty that no matter what happens, deals go bad. And so this is kind of the stuff that, you know, people wonder why and they're praying. And so I'm going to tell you how to, the trauma that little instance, because if my dad had said no, it the, maybe there would never have been an open door. I'm not blaming my dad because he didn't want to lie to me. That was part of the reason why he didn't answer that. He really didn't want to lie to me. I think that that was one of my, I think my dad was ashamed of his own actions um, and he didn't know how to get out of it. I, I honestly know that. We've had that conversation. He didn't know how to get out of it. And it doesn't mean, look, him and Loretta ended up having about 28 years of a beautiful marriage and love. And, and I love Loretta. She, you know, she was around for all my kids growing up and she's still around. She's just a sweetheart. So I'm not here to put any blame on her, but trauma, this is trauma. This is how trauma is created. So it could be a car accident. Um, it can be, um, um, uh, you're a, a bad, a, a divorce can do it. Um, uh, obviously, let me just tell you, we'll go over these rape, murder, all those things are trauma. Anything that is a trauma, anything. Now I'm not talking about someone didn't wear a mask on an airplane. Okay. I'm not talking that kind of triggered stuff. I'm talking about actual traumas that were, that you either happened to you or witnessed to such a degree. It could happen to, let's say, um, a young boy sees his mother get murdered. That it's a trauma to him, even though it didn't happen to him, it happened to his mother, but it did happen to him because of what he saw. Okay, and you're not, we're not built at that age to to uh, deal with these kind of things. Our brains aren't fully developed. We don't. Our spirits are developed, but they don't. We don't know how to uh, bring our spirits into subjection. Okay, to the Word of God and and um, and 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 alive in God at, at, you know, maybe at an early age. So now I, I had now for the next 10 years progressed into just chasing women. And I've told this story. I don't like telling my story too much, but because I'm not that impressed with it. 
but this is what happened. My all my kids know, and I don't hide it from them. I try to tell them not to make those mistakes, right? And um, and they didn't, thank God. Um, but that was my life, and um, I met this beautiful redhead, and um, man, I I was. I had just told my dad over Christmas vacation. I was home for Christmas. And my dad asked me if I was dating him. And I said, no, dad. I said, I got 14 months left in the Navy. And I said, you know, if I might meet someone down there, I'm going to end up down in the South for the rest of my life. Well, I've been here for 35 years. So there you go. And I met this beautiful redhead. It's her birthday today, by the way, April, uh, September 20th. She's actually on her way to her uh, sister's house. Um, to spend a couple of days with them because it's her also her older sister's birthday this week. And um, but it's her birthday. She's she's my baby. I told her we're gonna celebrate when you get back. And um I met this beautiful redhead, and I knew, you know, very quickly within a couple of months, I knew I wanted to marry her. Uh, I won't get into all that where you know we had some conflict. I'm Catholic, she's Baptist, neither of us are good at it. She's backslidden. I don't really know who Jesus is. But I actually, during that Christmas break, started thinking about God. Who is he and who I had become? I didn't like who I was. Okay. Um, sometimes my frustration with myself would manifest in anger in other bad areas of my life. And so I wasn't impressed with myself. And I meet this beautiful redhead. And man, she's gorgeous. And 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 she is okay dating me. <laughs> you know? I met her at ATA Fitness here in Jacksonville, Florida. It's not there anymore. Um, and I, several years later, uh, when we were having Jordan, and she was pregnant with Jordan, we were in there. It was called the Baby Superstore at the time. Or the Babies Are Us, I think it was called. And we were in there buying some stuff because we were having our first baby. And I told her mother, I took her over to the area of the store. I said, hey, Ma. She goes, why? I said, right here is where I met your wife. Oh, your daughter. Here's right here where I met Kathy. Right here. She goes, really? I said, yeah, this used to be the gym, the fitness center. This is right where I met her. She goes, you're kidding me. I said, no, right here. She was on a machine right here. And I came up and I said, hi. And she said, hi back. And I said, that just, that was it. And uh, we went out that night and uh, uh, went out for a little bit, and then we started dating right from then. And uh, been with her ever since. I was January 21st, 1987. Got married to her on January 23rd, 1988. All right. But I still had these thoughts, and I still had that thing in me that, number one, still wanted to... I didn't want to chase women because I knew it was wrong, but I could tell the desire was there. The thought was there. The lust was there. And now I come to Jesus, and when I come to Jesus, I, I'm repenting for everything. I'm spending the next couple years going, like every time I'm getting a bad thought that lasts for more than five seconds, I go, I'm repenting. I'm going, Lord, forgive me for that thought. If I'd see a woman and I'd have a lustful thought, I'd go, 
you know, this is after I got saved. I go, Lord, forgive me for that lustful thought. That's your daughter over there. And I shouldn't have a thought of her concerning that. That's your, and I started repenting of every thought, trying to, and I was renewing my mind. I was bringing my mind and the disobedience of my thoughts into the captivity of Christ. And I just kept renewing. I was reading the words. But then I heard this speaker, Cheryl Salem. Harry Salem's wife. Now, you might not know who she is. She was actually, I think, Miss America in 80 or 81. She um, was once married to the Oak Ridge, one of the Oak Ridge boys. I don't you know, have her whole history. Harry was the uh, producer or president, I guess, of ORU television media productions. And he was like residing over that. And she spoke at this conference and she started talking about how she got free and what she had to get free from. And this is how she explained it. When she was 11, she was raped by an uncle. And he raped her a couple of times, apparently. When she was 16, she went head first through a windshield in a car accident and had something like 30 stitches down the side of her face, which God miraculously by a miracle, completely vanished the scars away from what I understand. You couldn't see it. Like, you know, even if you had that kind of graduate scars, you know, from stitches going on your face, you would still see it underneath the makeup. You might not see it from a distance, but you see it. Remember, she's Miss America a couple of years later after that. Um, but she notices that every relationship she gets into starts out wonderful, but then it turns ugly even one of the Oak Ridge boys. And when she divorces the Oak Ridge boys, because I guess he uh, abused her, she's praying. And she says to the Lord, Lord, why is it every relationship, I just want to serve you, but why is it every relationship I get into starts out wonderful and it turns violent? And this is what he says. He speaks to her and says this, the spirit that was on your uncle attached itself to you and you're bringing that into every relationship moving forward until you get free from that. Now, this is stunning. That's called familiar spirits. This is how they operate. This is how they, they work. Now, what I do not want you to do, listen to me. What I do not want you to do is look for them. I'm going to tell you what to do about this. Okay. So, she said that she spent a week or so. I forget the whole thing. It's been, look, it's been almost 30 years maybe since I've heard this. And she talked about getting free from this and praying to God to forgive her and to cleanse her from this spirit. And then she met Harry and had a wonderful marriage. Okay, good. All right. So, you know, I went home and I started saying, Lord, now I didn't go look for the event. I did not go look for the event. Even though I knew my parents' divorce had something to do with it. I didn't go look for the event. All I did was say, Lord, I forgive everyone. Now, I don't really forgive my dad. I want you to understand this. Now, this is like I'm 24. No, I got to be older than that. I'm sorry, I'm like 27, 28 now. I've been married for four years. Um... Me and my wife took, like, getting saved really serious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some people don't take it that serious. Like, we changed. We were renewed. 
maybe to some people, maybe to us now would maybe look a little religious, but God was first in our lives. We didn't come in this thing um, slow. We didn't come in this thing. Now, Kathy was a preacher's daughter, but she had backslidden. And eight months after I get saved and give my life to Christ, she renews her life, goes down the altar, renews her life, and gets baptized again and recommits her life to Christ. Because she said, I saw a change in you. There was just something totally different about you. That I think that she was also saying, I never saw that before in religion. The total, I mean, I changed. Um, I would say 90% for the good, probably 10% of that overboard maybe. You know, when you first get saved and you're reading the word and God's correcting you on everything you want to correct everybody. Um, you have to learn God's mercy and grace, you've experienced it for yourself. You think because when God tells you a truth, it's for you to point it out in everybody else. And so that's what Jesus warned about the speck and the plank, okay, to not do that. And so I, I had to seriously, I prayed and I said, Lord, anything in my life that's not of you, any spirit that has attached itself, um, because I wanted to have a good relationship. You understand, I come out of a family whose grandparents were married for 60 years, but no one else was in the whole family. I'm, I'm, I'm um, not my grandmother's side, not my mother's side. And my uncle now has been, but my mother, my parents weren't. My siblings hadn't been married. Uh, my daughter, my sister is a divorce ship, and she's going to get the, she got divorced right after we got married. So she was only married seven years, maybe, something like that. Um, none of my other aunts and uncles on my dad's side. My dad, obviously, and my mom. And I didn't want that, the road, to be for Kathy and I. Um, by the way, this January, just so you know, is 35 years we've been married. So we've, you know, we're doing really well. Um, but. What we did do is we just would pray, Lord, any spirit that attached. Now, we didn't go looking for him. We talked to Jesus, not to the spirits. Okay, this is a mistake people make. As they start going through their genealogy trying to find something. This is where I'm not into that generational curse thing. Because the generational curse in scripture is dealing with the law of Moses. It's dealing with the fact if you worship false gods then God visits that iniquity upon the third and fourth generation. But, and, and then Jeremiah says, I will not visit the sins of the fathers upon the sons or the sons upon the fathers. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get familiar spirits and stuff like that, but we've got to get people free. I, this wasn't my father's spirit. This was what I had let into my life. And, um, but when I was, See, it was 1986, so I'm 21, and I'm getting ready to go out on a Mediterranean cruise on the USS Forrestal. I was home, and I asked my dad to take me to the airport. He says, I'll get you a limo, because that was the way we would normally I said, Dad, I'm getting ready to go away for six months. I think he could give me a ride? And he did. And I know he wasn't totally happy they did, but we talked. And I told him at the airport, I, he was getting ready to get married, because my mom had given him the divorce earlier in the year after five years of separation, and now he was going to marry his um, girlfriend, uh, Lorita, who's not, who was his wife until his death. And I told him, I forgive you. And I said, 
If I could, I would be here. I would love to be here for your wedding. I love you. I want you to know uh, I forgive you and Larita. I just want you to know that I, I'm not holding anything. Uh, I forgive you. And, and, and I wasn't even saved yet, folks. But I just knew I didn't want this. My dad, I think, really made an attempt, when, which I think upset my mother, when he moved out. He came and picked me up every Tuesday to go have lunch with me. Every Tuesday. Uh, after school, he would take me to lunch. And the reason was he wanted, because I was the only one still home in high school when they got split up, that he wanted to make sure that that relationship never died. And I, and I can just sit there and say, fathers, listen to me. You might have screwed up your marriage, but don't screw up your kids. Um, I've watched fathers just dump their kids. I've watched mothers do the same thing. I've watched mothers get so mad at the father that they prohibit the father from seeing the kids. This all is going to lead to a very serious emotional problem in kids. My father didn't do that. And I'm so grateful. He's in heaven now. I'm so grateful that he made the effort. I couldn't make that effort. He made the effort. Now, doesn't mean we didn't have our conflict and... Sometimes he would try to get out of some responsibilities. I'd remind him, nope. And I go, no, you're not getting out of it. Um, I held him to account on the fact that when he would try to justify it, I'd say, no, just because God has blessed you doesn't mean your way was right. Your way was wrong. That's the mercy of God that he forgave you. And he has blessed you because you sought him. And because you did that, he has poured out his blessing on you, but not because you did everything right. And I always tell people, um, there, are, there are blessings for doing the right thing, by the way. Don't think that if you do the right thing that you won't, aren't going to be blessed because the scriptures do declare that. But we're never good enough is the point. All right. So Cheryl talked about this. She said, you know, um, she had to get free from this because she could she could look at her relationship. She wasn't looking at her parents. It wasn't something multiple generations. So I don't want you to. Well, people go, when you have this thing, you know, it could be attached to you from a great, 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 great grandfather who sinned. The problem is when you came to Jesus, that's supposed to be done away with. Okay. And the, the, there's a whole bunch of issues here theologically is when you get saved, are you filled with the Spirit? Now, some people say yes. I don't agree with that. Otherwise, um, the apostles wouldn't have made sure they were filled with the Spirit. Okay? Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even say they weren't. It said the Holy Spirit had fallen on none of them yet, so they went down to Samaria to lay hands on them. So, you know, the scriptures don't say, the scriptures don't say you're born again by the Spirit. It says you're born again by the incorruptible word, the seed of God, or the incorruptible seed, the word of God, coming alive in your hearts. Now, that word is spirit, but it's not, it, it's not, look, you can't separate the spirit. The Holy Spirit's there. You can't come to Jesus without the Holy Spirit. But Jesus even told his apostles that the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. That's two different things. And so I think that sometimes we like to just assume everyone's been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't make that assumption because the apostles didn't. Okay, the apostles wanted to know if you were filled with the Spirit to believers. So I think we need to have that distinction. You don't have to agree with me. You could theologically challenge it. That's fine. Uh, I just, you know, 
I was, I, by the way, when I got born again, I didn't assume the Holy Spirit had filled me. I went and had someone lay hands on me. So I'm just more that way. When in doubt, let it pour out, you know? And so, um, and by the way, from the moment John Rumbach laid hands on me, I've never doubted the Holy Spirit's been in me because I felt them that day and I know he's with me every day. Okay. But so let's say you were in a car accident. Maybe you, your parents got divorced or all these things. I've watched wonderful children make really bad choices because parents got divorced. They react poorly. Um, or, or they, you know, they, they react and, and they don't know how to handle it. Like who, who, they know this. They know this in psychology. They know that. Is better for the parents to stay together as long as no one's getting abused or beaten. Um, it's amazing the stupid things that people get divorced for today. Um, you know, usually it's just, you know, they let stuff pile up. But let's say you were in a car accident. So let me give you a, an example. Um, Bill Johnson, I saw this first with Bill Johnson. And I want to give Bill his real credit to this for at least from showing it and me seeing it. I don't like, a, like I don't want you to believe I learned all this from myself or from the Holy Spirit because I'm so awesome. I have learned from others. And in this instance, uh, Bill, I, I watched Bill ask for people, if you were in a car accident and you still have pain, and some of this pain would be 20, 30 years, and Bill would close that door and the pain would leave. One of the ways you close that door is by forgiving all involved. Okay. Sometimes you don't look and I'm going to give you another instance, but forgive you go, but you know, this is why people don't want to forgive. They think the person's off the hook. No one gets off the hook except through Christ anyways. Okay. In other words, if I forgive someone and they never come to Jesus, they're not going to hell because of what they did to me. They're going to hell because they didn't come to Jesus. So no one's getting off the hook unless they come to Christ. Anyways, none of us are. It's all through Christ. So it's not like just because I got forgiven for this sin, if I don't, if I don't repent and give my life to Christ, then I'm not off the hook anyways. Okay, so don't worry about that. If they come to Christ or your brother and you want them off the hook, um, you go, well, they didn't apologize to me. Well, okay. I mean, you know, by the way, I think if they come to Christ and they know they've done you wrong, you'll get a phone call. Just wait. Now, don't wait for it. But I mean, just let God handle it. Um, and so this is the kind of stuff that happens. So you get car accidents, you have divorces, you have... Um, maybe you got sick. Maybe that was a trauma. Maybe, um, you know, someone did something to you that was hurtful, whatever. Okay. It's a trauma. Okay. So it could be a physical trauma, emotional trauma, trauma. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be, um, you know, we had to go bankrupt. We had to loot. We lost everything. And now you're constant fear of finances and finances don't seem to work out. So that's how we get free. Number one, we forgive anyone and everyone involved, we just forgive. And I'm going to show you how I did this and tell you the lesson from it. But you, you then ask God to forgive you 
Yeah, forgive you because you might have held on to unforgiveness too long, which a moment is too long. But if this is the first time you forgave that person, then unforgiveness puts you into prison, Jesus said. And this is like a really um, um, tough word is when we realize that Christ can put us, like, this is um, uh, um, Christ can actually have us um, in prison. Um, Remember the parable of um, let's go to it. See if I can just find him. Matthew 18. Turn there with me. And let's just look here. And I want you to hear this whole story. This is where unforgiveness is going to come in a big play in your life for the rest of your life. And um, I did a a sermon in Oklahoma called Offenses, Being Free from Them. So you can pair this one up with that. Um, uh, If you could, it's on... It's on the weekly. It's on the weekly Kingdom Outlook. It's probably back in April. We probably put it out, so you can look on YouTube or on Subsplash or anywhere. It's on there on the app. But let's look at this. All right. Verse twenty-one, Matthew eighteen. Then Peter came to him and said, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? Up to seven times." He says this up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a lot of money. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, said to master, have Uh, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant um, was moved with compassion, uh, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not a lot of money. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And the fellow servant said, fell down on his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not, and he would not, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had, what had been done, they were grieved and came to told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you have not have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to... Um, as delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So your heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers his trespasses. This is an amazing statement. Now, some people have this sweet baby Jesus, heavenly father, a pushover. We can do whatever we want. He forgives us. He loves and he never, he never does anything. This is not true. Okay? This is not true. This is, this is a utopia that doesn't exist. The, the, our Father is judge. Our Father is righteous. Our Father is true. And if our Father 
has expectations for us to live a life of holiness and good conduct. And so he says this, if you do not forgive your, 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 your brethren from your heart, your father will put, deliver you to the tortures and put all the sin back on you that you have to remember he has to pay all his debt what was his debt 10,000 denera now he threw him into the tortures until he could pay it off which is a really crazy thing because how do you pay it off while you're in prison that's kind of a never-ending proposition he didn't garnish his wages he allowed him to be tortured a lot of people suffer from torture in their own soul because they did not forgive someone who was cruel to them. I know it sounds, and again, it's not their fault that it happened, but they have to take the ownership of getting free. In other words, I'm not going to allow that person who, you know, did this to me have control over my life ever again. How am I going to do that? I'm going to forgive them. Seems counterintuitive, right? Seems like, now, now listen, you have to know this. It doesn't mean you go hang out with that person again. Okay? It doesn't mean trust is earned. Okay? And when someone violates trust, when they violate friendship, and they violate that, you do not have to let that person back in. You, they have to earn it again. Some people don't want to earn it again. Some people do stupid stuff. And what they want to do is just, oh, I took money from you. Oh, I spoke evil of you. Oh, see, I'm forgiven. Why isn't our relationship the same? Because you don't realize I have a trust issue with you now. Now you go, well, no, that's your fault. No, it's not my fault. If a man goes and cheats on his wife for two years, she finds out, and then he, he stays out with the friends one night, guess what she wants to know? Why are you out at night? Well, I'm just out with Joe and Steve. Yeah, but, hey, I asked you to forgive me for that. You need to let that go. What he doesn't realize is that there's still a trust issue. Now, it could be unforgiveness, but she goes, I, I've had women come to me. I have forgiven them, but I, he keeps doing things that are uncomfortable for me. And what are they? Well, he keeps hanging out. He, he keeps going out and staying out with the boys, which is what got him in trouble in the first place. And I get that. So... Yeah, well, you know, and here's the other thing. Like, he was my chief financial officer. He took a million dollars. I forgave him. But he wants to know if he could keep his job. The answer is no. And they're like, but I'm forgiven. You forgave me. Where's the Christian love? Christian love is, I forgave you. But I can't put you over my finances anymore because you were found untrustworthy. That's, that's the difference. Trust is something. Now, if you should... You know, there's a whole, this is, look at, and let me just explain this. There is a whole array of options and circumstances. In other words, did your husband or wife cheat on you one time? Did they cheat on you for years? You know, those are two different scenarios. Okay. And so there's trust at a different level, you know. Did you do it five years ago and you've been doing it, you did it for two years, but you never told me? Or was it a one-time event and you felt so bad, you know? So all different scenarios. And this is why you can't have this blanket counseling session. Counseling has to hear the circumstances and then be able to weigh it. It's not, this is why I don't like doing counseling, because I don't like sitting there and, 
And going through all the mud of this, I got two wonderful people. Jerry and Denise, you need counseling on marriage and family. Jerry and Denise, me and Kat, they can do it. It's just that I can't, I, my, that's not my calling. It's their calling. They are great at it. I just stay in my lane. Um, it's like Bill would tell you, you know, Danny Silk and Sherry have done a great job taking over that when they came to the church where they were able to be focused where they were at. It's, it's that kind of important, important thing. Okay. It's that kind of um, weight and stuff. So a lot of times, so let me give you a take into another instance. Because I had learned this, because I had learned this. Now I'm going to talk in this one about the difference between uh, forgiveness and healing. And let's talk about this now. 2010, I locked up my church. You've heard the story and I got attempted robbery. The kid shot me in my foot, my leg. And within 10 minutes, I'm in the back of an EMT truck and, you know, the guy's working on my, taking off my shoe. I'm just, I'm just hoping my toe is still there, you know. Thank God it was a 22 and not a 45. And the detective comes in and he asked me stuff. And I said he shot me twice and, and I told him it was an automatic, it should be shell casings. He goes, how do you know? I said, I could hear the recoil. He goes, you can hear it. Trust me, it goes by very slow when this is happening. And um, he finds one. He says, we only found one shell case. I go back, there's no one. And he looked. He said, okay, we found the other one. And um, he comes back in the second time, and he looks at me. Because I'm just sitting there like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm just literally going, thank you, Jesus, that I lived. But I'm doing it quietly. I'm not doing it out loud. They're working on my toe. I don't want to look. Uh, they tell me, oh, it's okay. It's through and through. Looks like it's going to be okay. Da, da, da. You know, it wasn't cut off. I wasn't missing part of it. Didn't take off half my toe or anything like that. And they're working. They're cutting off my jeans, which were brand new. Just like the second night I was wearing them, cutting those things through. And then, and then the officer asked this question. He looks at me puzzled. I go, what's the matter? He goes, you're not acting like someone who was shot. And I honestly said this. I said, well, this is my first shooting. How are you supposed to act? Which everyone laughed. I said, you know. He goes, most people are angry. I said, oh. I said, yeah. I'm, I'm too happy. And I said, look, I have a choice to be angry that I got shot or I could be happy and joyful that Christ delivered me and I'm alive. My choice. I said, I've already forgiven the guy. I said, I've already forgiven him because I've done counseling enough where people carry this trauma with them for years. I said, I, I'm called to this city. I'm called to Jacksonville. I cannot carry trauma like that and still minister to my city. And he just looked at me, he's puzzled and was trying to weigh that. Meanwhile, the guy working on my foot begins to cry. And I'm going, what's going on with you? And he goes, my father was killed by a parishioner. Shot him, killed him 20 years ago. And I've been carrying that this whole time. So we prayed. Okay. What was, what was the lesson? I forgave him. Now, the guy was forgiven. I was free. We didn't have any, no one was screaming in nightmares in my house. Uh, my son came to the hospital, looked in, looked in the curtain, 
went back, called his siblings. Dad's okay. We got home around 5.30, 6 in the morning. Um, you know, Jordan, they were all sleeping on the floor, I think it was. They were all kind of just waiting for us to come home and fall asleep on the floor. Jordan was such a amazing big brother to his siblings. And we rejoiced. We were good with that. Now, doesn't mean we were happy we got shot. Doesn't mean we were, uh, doesn't mean any of that. Please don't even think that I want to ever go through that again. I don't. Um, but I want you to know that now here's the deal. My foot was still, I still had a lot of wound. Um, I had a through and through through my calf. I had a through and through through my big toe out the ball of my foot. Thank God. But it did shatter my big toe completely. Like it was, it looked like a spider web. I've got the video somewhere or the x-ray somewhere. It was shattered. Let me just put it that way. It was just shattered. And um, the doctors wanted to put pins in it. And I said, no. I said, it was still all together. My attitude was, let me just pray. Let me just pray. Because no, no, we got to put pins in it to hold it all together. So let me just keep praying. And he goes, why not? I said, because you put pins in it, then I got to pray for the pins to be removed. I might as well just pray for God to heal me. So I would go, it happened on a Wednesday night, Thursday I checked out. So every Thursday they had me coming back and every Thursday they would look at it and take an x-ray and go, it looks good. And after six weeks, they took an x-ray. They go, you know what? We're not going to have to do surgery on it. It held together. I was like, it's not a problem. I said, yeah, I know. You know, I wasn't shocked. And, you know, they said, you can start walking on it. And, and it was about six weeks. You can start walking out, putting a little pressure on it. That was hard to do, by the way, because my mind is that was all broken. I had to literally remind myself to roll my foot, to, to walk. I had to literally condition my brain that it just to let it voluntarily take over because my voluntary thing was now going, no, that's damaged. Don't do it. Took me about a month to really just get comfortable walking on it. And I was good. I was like really good. But in December of 2010, all of a sudden I wake up and I've got excruciating pain in my toe. And this thought comes to me. This is the enemy. Should have got that surgery. Should have got that surgery. Now, nothing's changed in my foot. I didn't go to the doctor, by the way, but I prayed. And I said, Lord, set me free from any lingering effects of this thing. Just set me free. That enemy spirit was trying to get me to agree with it. And I guarantee if I did, I would have had surgery on my toe. But within a week, that spirit was gone. Uh, the pain left, and I've been good. That's it's been 22 years this December, and I'm good. Okay, now I still can't do my ballet on my toes. I I never was able to do that actually. But now here's the difference. It took me. I was instantly forgiving. Okay. But it took me six months to be healed. Here's what you have to understand. <clears throat> That for when you forgive someone doesn't mean that you're healed. You still need to come to God through Christ and go heal me of this. I'll give you a look. I've had I've had ministers do really horrible things to Kathy and I, and it hurt me. You know, it really hurt. Now I don't operate out of the pain. I always operate out of the anointing and the spirit. But it doesn't mean like it's this way. 
I preached that whole time I was, you know, I preached a Sunday after I got shot. Okay? I preached from the Spirit. Didn't mean my foot didn't hurt. My foot still hurt that Sunday. Okay? And so what you have to understand is even though you are forgiven, even though you could still access the anointing, you still have to allow the Spirit to heal you. Okay, so I had this one minister I was ministering with, and we had an agreement. And because I had a salary and he didn't, and I, he was in bad financial shape, uh, the Lord told me to help him, and I did. We went out on the road together. The deal was 30-70. I said, he wanted to do a 50-50. I said, no, no, no. Let's get you out of debt. Let's get rid of your credit card debt. Let's do that. You take 70. We'll pay off expenses, and then you take 70. I'll take 30. And we'll be good. Okay, and he said, hey, well, that's awesome. Okay, he did it for the first month. Didn't want to do it for the second month. And stole about $90,000 from Catherine. We had preached 30 days out of 31. And it was about $300,000 came in. And he kept his, he kept it all. And he calls me up the next month to pay off the American Express that he had bought. My American Express, because remember, we got him on credit card debt. He had bought a new computer, a couple, uh, I think, I think two computers, an iPhone. All the hotels were on there, and he calls up and says, "The spirit told me I need to pay that off. Stop it. Stop trying to look superior." All right, but I forgave him, right? But you know what? Here's the problem. It still hurt me that I had shown such kindness to someone to just do that. That when you when you're repaid evil for good, that's painful. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you love someone and they turned on you. Maybe they did something wrong. We've all done it. We've all been there. And we've also have done that. Okay. Um, it was December 4th, which was the anniversary of my salvation. I was preaching on a Friday night. And I saw in a vision changed the name to, I saw the Lord want me to change the name to the gate church. And at that same night, I felt the dagger out of my heart come. I felt God just deliver me. I looked at Kathy. No one knew what was going on with this. By the way, no one knew I was hurting. No one knew. None of my leaders knew. You go, why didn't they know? Because I never dumped stuff on my leaders. Of my, I, I, I would, I talked to other people. I had other spiritual fathers. Fathers deal with that. I don't make my, uh, my spiritual sons or my natural kids deal with my pain. Okay? I don't dump it on them. Okay? And so I was just praying. I knew this. I knew God would heal me. I just knew he would. If I just prayed and trusted him, eventually I would, it wouldn't bother me anymore. And just pulled that out. It was like the most sweet feeling thing in the world. This is 2010. No, this is 2009, actually. This one was before I got shot. It's really important to understand that there's a difference. Let me tell you something, men and women. Let's say you're, you went through a very bad marriage. Forgive your spouse. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they're not held accountable. Forgive them. Now, that might mean, you know, stop trying to punish them. Okay, now it does not mean, listen, women, I hate when women do this. 
That does not mean your husband who makes $6,000 a month only has to pay you $500 a month because you're going to be nice to him. That does not mean it. If you're entitled to alimony, get it. I'm sorry. That's the deal. You know, I don't like it, Christian women always thinking that, you know, they don't want to fight. No. Because then I, you know what I hear from the Christian women? They feel they can't live. You know, and that's not, that's not godly. So the answer to that is no. Get an attorney. If you need one, let me know. If Jacksonville, I got a couple good ones. Um, but it doesn't mean that your heart is healthy right away. And if you just keep praying and bringing it before the Lord, Lord, I need you just to really heal my heart. I need you to wash over it. And this is all I kept doing through this situation. Um, he'll do it. He really will do it. And he did it for me. That's how I know, that's how I know this is real. So I forgave, but it took time to heal. I forgave the man who shot me. It took time for my body to heal. Two different instances. One was emotional. One was spiritually, emotionally. And one was physically. Okay? They take time to heal. How much time? I don't know. I mean, in both these instances, they were less than six months. So that isn't a long time after being shot. That isn't a long time after being, you know, feeling, you know, someone cheated you out of $90,000. That isn't a long time. Okay? But you want to be free. And this is how you get free of your of things that are chronic in your life. So I learned this from Bill also. So when I pray, so like I was praying this a couple weeks ago, or a week ago. I was out in New Mexico, and I'm praying for this lady. She comes up. She's limping. I think she had a cane. She's like, and I go. You stop. So it is important that you you know that this is why people think, well, I have forgiven him, but I'm still hurting. Yeah. It's not forgiveness. It's healing. You're praying for the wrong thing. In other words, acknowledge, Lord, thank you for giving me the strength for giving now. Lord, would you set me free from all the effects and heal my heart? So I'm hard. So this lady comes forward. She's got some injuries from an accident, I think in 1997. And I explained to her, what we're going to do is we're going to close that door. Because it's been chronic in her life. Man, God touched her. And, and when I prayed to her, Lord, we forgive everyone that was involved in this accident. We, we forgive them. And I named some of the trauma she was going through. You have fear of driving, fear of... Yeah. She goes, yeah, yeah, okay. And we prayed. And folks, she got totally free. Every meeting she came to, she was looking better. And God was healed. God touched her then, but kept on, kept on, kept on healing her. And, you know, now look, she wasn't in shape. So I didn't expect her to do backflips. But so she's got it now, hopefully with no pain. She said her back pain disappeared instantly. It was gone. And so she came back to the next meeting. My back pain's still gone. My back pain's still gone. And she kept coming. But she kept, again, more and more faith, more and more healing was coming to her. Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes God can do it instantly in your heart. And sometimes it takes some time. I don't know. Don't ask me why. I don't know. I just know it's true. Okay? So that's the, that's the, that's the part of this. That's how we get free from these things. I'm not talking about your generations. Look, I don't care what your great, 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 grandfather did. None of us knows the full depth of our history. Okay? But that's the matter. 
My life is now hidden in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My life I live, I now live in the faith of the Son of God. I am in Christ. Because I'm in Christ, my generations don't have an effect on me. He does. He is my generations. He is my family tree. He is my blessing. He is all these things to me. Okay? And that's important to know. Because if we don't know that, then what happens is we're going to sit there and be held. Because if you go back looking into your generations, that's how you will actually pick up familiar spirits in your past, in your genealogy. Not get rid of them. You will actually pick them up as you go. Because they're waiting for an agreement. If you start with an agreement, I have a spirit from my great-great-grandfather. Guess what? You've now invited that spirit in. But we're, that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the same as going, hey, I realize that from that accident or from that marriage breakup, I've had trouble with relationships. Because I was hurt. That's not that. And by the way, you notice I haven't talked about spirits as much as I talked about healing of our hearts. Because the way I unlinch from the spirit of that thing is forgiveness. I break that bond. Okay. Secondly, when I start asking God for healing, that's my spirit. That's my soul. God's going. David said, "Renew, uh, restore my soul." Read Psalm fifty-one. All right, I've gone way too long on this already, so I just want to pray for you right now, if I can. So, Father, I pray right now for anyone listening to this who's got a trauma. They are. They were in a car accident, or they had a bad divorce, or maybe they were sexually abused or maybe they were um, uh, financially stolen from or went bankrupt whatever it is lord i ask right now in the name of jesus that number one we forgive all involved anyone who might have been involved in this anyone who might have brought this about but we take the responsibility lord in you for our healing we sit there and forgive them and we unlink ourselves to the spirit of that trauma, and that, that trauma has no longer, it's no longer attached to our spirit or our soul. And we forgive them. Forgive us, Lord, right now, if we have harbored any anger or ill will towards them in any way. We forgive them totally in that, and we thank you for it in Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I ask that you bring healing to our hearts, to our bodies, to our finances, to our relationships, to every, to our children, whoever has been affected by this. It, it, but if I'm the one who needs healing, Lord, would you restore my soul? Would you renew a right spirit in me, Lord? I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. You have a fantastic day, and I will talk to you later. And I, I'll, I'll link the other video to offenses to this video so you can watch that one as well. God bless you, and you have a fantastic week. Bye-bye.